Welcome into the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, riding solo tonight. We're going to be talking about Penn State football. Shocker. Uh, but I do want to take one second to congratulate the Penn State men's basketball season. They started it tonight. So if you're uh, a Penn State basketball fan, you can have this on while you're watching the game. We'll uh, obviously be talking about that over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. But right now we're digging into Indiana. We're going to give a recap of the game, the final word on that, and then take a little bit of a look at Maryland. Surprisingly, I've watched Maryland enough times that I have some thoughts. So we'll get to all of that on the BWI Daily. Let's get to it. You are my co-host today on the BWI Daily. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. So thanks for stopping by. Always appreciate everybody who comes in and uh, and participates in the show. I'm going to be relying on you today because I'm, I'm flying solo. It's that time of year where people are starting to be downgraded from uh, available to questionable to out. Got a couple people sick today. And of course, uh, Nate Bauer over at the BJC. So you and I are talking about Penn State football and the 45 to 14 win over Indiana. Um, you might wonder, what is there to talk about in a beatdown? Well, I always find something to talk about. So we're going to be discussing the offense. The freshmen are obviously going to come to the top of the list today when we discuss the offense. And then the defense, it's going to be a little bit more about Indiana than I think maybe you, you'd think it'd be used to. But I do think it's an interesting situation. And to me, if you like football, this is one of those situations where how do blowouts happen? How does absolute domination happen? It comes from a place where you have such an advantage that there is no workaround. And I think Indiana's found themselves in that place a couple of times this year. So that's going to be about their offense. But right off the top, the first thing I need you to do for me is I need you to like the video. I enjoy everyone coming into the show. I love our regulars. I'd love to get some new regulars, get some people here on the Monday live show that maybe haven't seen it before. The best way for people to know the video, give it a like. Uh, so we're we always our goal is 500 likes on every video. Um, so if you can help us get us there, that would be much appreciated. So 48 hours out. How do you feel about the game as opposed to when you started? This uh, this is this is always an interesting kind of retrospect. Usually we watch the game again. Not in the moment watching it live. You get about 10% of football that way. But going back and watching it a second time, what stands out to you? What can you key on now that you're not trying to figure out what's, you know, trying to anticipate what's going to happen? Or, you know, with the bullets flying, you kind of get tunnel vision, right? I, I still, to this day, still watch the football instead of watching the play a lot uh, the first time around. So to me, the thing that I kept thinking of this weekend is I don't know how Penn State's passing game worked on Saturday. I just, I have no idea at this point. I think it was, uh, it was about 20% luck and then 80% Katron Allen running around and over people. So that's a, that's, that's a good place to start is when you've got the Penn State offense and the passing game coming out of it and you go kind of just a shrug emoji. You're just looking around like, I, I don't know. Some of the biggest plays that came out on, on Saturday were incredibly lucky. 
you you talk about the the throw to Brenton Strange. That is an awesome catch. Uh, unintentionally, I think Sean Clifford put it right on his face mask, right by the ear hole of the defender. The only place that Brenton Strange could catch it, and uh, the defender fully engaged with Strange had no idea the ball was going by his head. But a millimeter to the right, and that ball hits the dude in the helmet. Um, you know, a millimeter to the left, and that ball probably falls incomplete because Strange can't get his hands on it. It was in the exact right spot. The one to Mitchell Tinsley, and I don't I don't know if that was intentional. Sean Clifford under pressure, sidesteps, then does that. The whole thing is incredibly improbable. Then the throw to Mitchell Tinsley, it kind of sparked everything for the offense. Let, let's let's discuss that one. Again, Sean Clifford throwing on the run, throwing downfield into contested coverage. I James, I asked James Franklin about this particular thing with, Jay, with, with Sean Clifford about, is he taking more shots? Does he trust his receivers more? Um, because it seems like it's been that way going back to the Michigan game of throwing the ball up into uh, to uh, Trey Wallace and letting him run underneath the football. Clifford had not been doing that much, but Franklin said, no, we're just hitting more of them. So I went back and I looked and that's correct. He's uh, Clifford's been throwing plenty of contested footballs so far this season. It's just the receivers are coming down with it now. So slightly better accuracy from Clifford leads to all of these opportunities. And then when lady Luck's on your side for once, it's nice. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley, the ball falls on the defender who does not intercept it. And Tinsley can scoop it off of his chest. That's a good heaping of luck. Um, I said this in the film study. This is something that I found super fascinating, trying to like take a broad picture back of what happened on Saturday. And while it, it, we start with the luck aspect, that's not necessarily all of it. Explosive plays were really the common theme. So here's, here's what I found. Penn state, uh, every time they got an explosive play, like the one at Tinsley, the one is strange, but then later another one where um, Katron Allen was able to break a big run. Anytime Katron Allen touched the ball and went more than 10 yards, Penn State scored on that drive. So two things are happening there. The first is they're getting those explosive plays. And secondarily, they were getting enough yards in between to capitalize on those big plays. This kind of comes back to Indiana. They were not necessarily great at stopping things coming into this game. I'm, I'm being very polite here, but what I'm trying to say is they were, they were missing a lot of tackles coming into this game. They were an interesting read of, yes, they're in their gap, their gap sound, they fight hard, but ultimately you can beat them. And that's kind of what happened where you see Catron Allen rip off a nine yard run and then a 10 yard run and then a nine yard run and then a two and a one and a two. Anytime Penn State got a big play, they were able to convert that into a touchdown. But when they didn't, they could not put together enough consecutive plays to march the football down the field to really sustain a drive and score without you know having to go the long way around. And that comes back to some consistency issues on the offensive side of the ball that have been there all year long. But also, that's the, that's the thing we were talking about. Indiana, especially in the passing game, was going to make it hard. And that was something that I found super interesting uh, in this game is kind of the dichotomy of, it was it was feast or famine, but because it was Indiana, they everyone got fed. Um, that was really my biggest takeaway. Forty eight hours later of watching the offense and then kind of seeing postscript what the plan from Indiana was, and it was actually an interesting game plan where uh, they clearly had watched the Minnesota game, 
And what they did was what they were trying to do was they were trying to basically build a fence over the middle of the football field. You, if you've ever heard about this in football, you have, you have shading, right? So you shade inside or outside, um, or maybe you call that leverage, whatever you want to call it for a defensive back. They're taking away the inside or the outside. And I don't know that I've seen this before. Usually guys have their butt to the sideline in zone coverages. Indiana flipped and had everyone pointing their butt towards the, the inside of the field, right? So they were just physically in the way. You could not get to the middle of the field without running through an Indiana defender or two. And what that did was that took away a lot of the tight end passing game early on and a lot of slants. Uh, that Sean Clifford likes to throw a lot of those RPO slants, things like that. So a lot of the, a, a good chunk of the Penn state offense was denied right away. Um, and then Mike Yersich started throwing the football to the outside, <laughs> because if you're, if you're going to go, if you're going to do that, you are giving up something else. And the gamble for Indiana was, well, Sean Clifford throwing to the sideline can be an adventure. So let's see if he can do it. And this is where Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley came down with some impressive catches. And Penn State was able to convert some third downs and they were able to move the football. Um, that's a part of the plan. That's a part of what happened. There was a, you know, obviously you can't do one thing the entire time, but that was kind of the through line of what happened for the Penn State passing attack and a lot of what made it pretty inconsistent. They're doing that at the same time as, and this is something we talked about on the postgame show that was Im immediately evident was that they were really happy to send uh, Alfred Bryant, their, their primary pass rusher, mainly him, on stunts to the inside. Whether it was against Drew Shelton and J.B. Nelson on the left side or the right side, they got home pretty easily with stunts, which is something that happened last year to Penn State, and this year cropped up again in this game. And that flushed Sean Clifford from the pocket, and then we got a little bit of bad Sean Clifford, which we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, once again, if you want to get your questions in, in the chat, uh, I'm talking to you today, both in the fact that I'm always talking to you, but we're, we're having a conversation here. Uh, Steven says, Indiana just doesn't have the Jimmies and the Joes. It's always been like that. Uh, always is tough for me to say always because you're painting with a very broad brush. And Tom Allen has brought in some guys that are now in the NFL, especially in the secondary. Uh, and, and they, Micah McFadden is a starting linebacker for the giants. Like they've had some of those Jimmy's and Joe's they didn't this year, uh, especially on offense. So I, I would not say always, because that's been the biggest difference is all of these schemes that I'm telling you about what they do. They do more with less. Yes, but they've had more lately. Um, but it is, it is a big part of it where you can't continually stock the shelf at Indiana. Um, you've got any questions, throw them in the chat. We're talking to you tonight. Mike says, feels like we run singleton singleton between the tackles. No, this is something that has changed over the last, I'd say month of the season as they've gotten farther down into the game plan with these two freshman running backs where, um, they're using them differently than they did to begin with. So you've got this new shiny toy in Nick Singleton. Super fast, explosive, a little bit raw, right? Everyone knew the profile coming in. So what do you want to do? You want to get him in space? They worked very hard to get him into space for the first six weeks of the season, and it was not producing the same results that it was, that that it should have, right? The, the game, a couple of games it did. 
against Ohio, it did. They were building, I'd say they were building the offense around Nick Singleton. And it was boomer bust. Ohio, Auburn, a lot of boom. But it wasn't sustainable. So what they've done is, I don't know that they've built the offense around Catron Allen now, but they've definitely stopped catering to one talent. So I wouldn't say that they're running between the tackles more often. They're just doing less game plan specific stuff for him. And part of that is not necessarily to de-emphasize him, but he's now 10 games in. And so he's giving you a more mature game where he, he now is familiar with running inside and outside zone. He's familiar with running some of these concepts between the tackles. So you can do more with him. What I've noticed is they're giving him some simpler things, right? And they're leaving some of the other stuff to Catron Allen. Allen, you can put in any system in any scheme and he's going to run it right. And he's probably going to get you more yards than you would normally get. Um, that is, that's kind of what I've noticed is they've used him however they need to use in that game. And really in this game in particular, they used him in that role of, okay, we want to get our athlete in space so he can break tackles. Maybe he's not going to outrun the safety for 75 yards, but he's going to break a tackle and get us 10 or 15 or 12. So they focused on getting him in space a little bit more the last couple of weeks. They were using some of those, some things that I think they designed for Singleton that I talked about previously in the Minnesota game where they, they were angling him to the outside in this man concept to have him hit the edge um, and, and or maybe jet sweep. So they used him a lot on pitches and tosses and things like that. They were doing that for Catron Allen in this game, and he rewarded them, uh, especially, you know, receiving, breaking a lot of tackles and getting yards after the catch. And And really, it comes down to. Are you breaking tackles and getting extra yards? If you are, it's a win. It doesn't have to be. 17 to 25 extra yards, even if it's five or six and keeping the, the offense on schedule, Catron Allen's very good at doing that. Um, that is, that was kind of the, the shift I saw, but in this game in particular, as opposed to some previous games. And I think it's bringing balance to the offense. They talk about this fabled balance, right? So are you able to actually run all of these concepts? After a couple weeks of not having it in the game plan, Penn State brought back some of their uh, gap concepts, especially the counter plays. Katron Allen, really good at those. His first run of the game, Indiana oversets to the front side, so he cuts to the back side, breaks the tackle, and gets nine yards. So, you know, you can run that. You can run zone. I think that they're getting much better and more comfortable with that outside zone that I've talked about for two and a half years, by the way. I feel like I'm crazy. Uh, going a little over the top with that, but it is something that you see that on film and you go, okay, this is something different from, from what Penn State's done in the past. It'll bring a different flavor of stuff here. So they can run all these different concepts. They've got a lot of creative wrinkles in the run game, including, by the way, uh, the way they're setting up the run game through formation. So you ask James Franklin about the evolution of the offense and you ask him about what they're doing from a play perspective, and he'll say they're all the same plays. We're not doing anything different. And that's true, but it's not. By moving guys around the formation and running the same play, you get a different result. So, for example, having two fullbacks in the backfield, and that's what you are if you're lined up in front of the running back. So, Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, they are 
tight ends by position, but if you line up in the backfield, you're you're a fullback at that point. What it does when when the running back is in the pistol, it's all about disguising where you're trying to go with a football. And when you run certain schemes and you have a blocker to the front side, it changes what the offensive line has to do. And it gives them, at least in the matchup on Saturday against Indiana, it gives them easier blocks. They don't have to out-athlete a linebacker to get to the point of contact. They don't have to run a guy down in space who's a gap and a half over. They just have to focus on the defensive tackle and then climbing to the second level to a guy that is in a closer position and let Brenton Strange be the lead blocker. So doing these things and moving these guys around the formation unlocks a lot of better play from everybody. This is the evolution of the offense throughout the season of run the same play so guys don't get confused, add some wrinkles so that you're doing something new continually and recycle those throughout the year. But when you play around with the formations and some of the ideas there, you can you can get what looks like new plays and what functionally becomes a new play rather than running the same old thing. And, and that's where they were kind of stuck in the mud at the beginning of the season. We talked about that and they needed to pivot. They needed to evolve somehow. And the way they've evolved is moving the tight ends around the formation instead of condensing everybody on the line of scrimmage, throwing a bunch of bodies at the box. Now they have the capability of running somebody out on a jet sweep, using both fullbacks to, to run out one way or come the other way. They can motion from that formation into a traditional set. It gives you a lot more flexibility. Um, so that's, to me, you know, going off of the talk, talking about Singleton and, and designing a lot around him. Now they're designing a lot of things around the concepts. And I think that's making it better because you're not relying so much on one player who is a true freshman and allows other guys to shine in those moments. Um, Brandon wants to know, do you think the Alabama loss helps Ohio state and Michigan into the playoffs coming from a friend that would like a trip to the Rose bowl? That's a great question. I was thinking about that, uh, when I saw that news. So obviously both teams have to win out. And then, uh, the, the one that goes has to win the big 10 championship game. So one loss between the two of them. If the one loss for Michigan, and this is where see, this is the thing is I think Michigan has to win because their their non-conference schedule was so bad that if they have quality wins over Penn State and and, you know, I, I haven't checked their schedule recently, but, you know, the Big Ten East, but the other game that they lose is to Ohio State. You might get some sort of chicanery there, especially with USC. If USC has one loss, Michigan has one loss, you might see uh, that play out where Michigan goes to the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12 gets in. So I think that that's another thing. Uh, you got to root for, I think, Utah here to go up to Oregon. I think it's in Oregon and beat uh, Oregon and then somebody to beat USC. So there's a couple of Pac-12 teams that have something to say about this. But if, if that all plays out and the Pac-12 usually regresses to the mean, I think you've got a you've got something there. So the Rose Bowl is not on the table to me because I think there's too many things that have to play out. But it is a great question. And it is something that is it, it is a possibility. I do think that that is a possibility for uh, to play out. But I don't know that it's the strong possibility uh, going through the chat here. Apologize if we're doing some umming and eyeing. We got uh, Steven. 
we do not want Michigan to beat OSU. We don't need a more uh, competition for recruits. Now that's the other side of it, right? So this is an interesting conversation about local recruiting and the narrative of Michigan. Until last year, Michigan and Penn State had largely been in the same spot where Michigan was back and forth with Penn State. They were, you know, kind of on an even playing field in terms of home and away who would win that series. And they had just as much luck against Ohio State and Penn State had played Ohio State better having prettier losses. But this year, another undefeated run, a big win against Penn State. Um I don't I don't know that in totality it uh you know this season changes everything but it does seem like Michigan is now kind of a step ahead where before Penn State and, and Michigan have been neck and neck and I wouldn't say that Penn State is necessarily incredibly far behind that game in Michigan to me was a bit of an anomaly where Penn State they got out coached and outplayed uh, but they were not so far away in talent that it was all about Michigan dominating them the way that Penn State dominated Indiana, if that makes sense. But it can it can get there, right? Michigan getting to the college football playoff again. Now you're stacking wins, you're stacking seasons. These are the things that do lead to a leap of taking you know taking that leap to the next level. And they have the infrastructure, they have the name, they have the attitude about themselves to make all of that happen. So you're right, Stephen. I do think that that is a part of the conversation uh, when you when you're from fan interest perspective. But here's the other thing, Stephen, and, and everyone else here in the chat. You need money. You need nil money. That's what you need uh, so that you can go out and secure yourselves players in the transfer portal. That's going to matter a lot in the transfer portal. These are these are more experienced players. They probably have come from a place and have success. That's going to be on the table for them. You know, directly recruiting with NIL money is definitely illegal. Definitely not happening anywhere in America. Definitely not going to be a problem. But, you know, you need to secure all your bases and do everything the right way. But you need to be able to provide those opportunities for a place when, uh, when, when those players get to college. And that's all going to change a lot of stuff going forward. So as much as it is success on the football field, Penn State finishes 10 and two, they go to a bowl game, they go to a high profile bowl game, they play well. I don't want to say they're standing pat because it is a step from the first two years, but they're back on track, right? And then it becomes what happens in this crazy new world um, and, and having other teams in your division, whether the, the Big Ten stays with the divisions or not, having other teams in the Big Ten and regionally ahead of you in this curve is a problem. Um, Quickly want to go here and talk about one of our sponsors here on the show, which is, of course, Rogue Shop. If you've watched the live show before, you know about Rogue Shop. You know what they do. Holistic healing medicine from the earth. Organic uh, small batch farmers in Wisconsin that uh, that are cannabis farmers and they they grow all natural small batch products uh, and a bunch of different things. I, I've told you a lot about what I use. I use a lot of the tinctures. I use a lot of the uh, the gummies with sleep, pain. I had this weird thing. Here, here's, a, here's a strange thing that happened. Um, it's that time of year, like I said, where people are getting sick and weird stuff is happening to your body as, as flu, cold and flu season is here, right? Got my flu shot. 
and I had some sort of strange reaction to it where my face, right where my headphones are, luckily I got headphones on, you can't see it, just swelled up. Just It looked like I had, uh, you know, cotton balls in my mouth or marbles. And I was a little nervous. I'm like, I got to be on... I got to be on camera in a couple hours. What I did was I took uh, some of the anti-inflammatory medicine I got from Rogue Shop. I used that and it went down. A little bit of heat, a little bit of ice, a little bit of that, uh, and everything calmed down. The tinctures, especially with CBD, that's known as an anti-inflammatory. It can help with infl inflammation responses. Inflammation is the leading cause of all the bad stuff in your body. Inflammation causes a lot of problems so if you can reduce inflammation you can reduce a lot of your problems and uh you know hemp cbd thc all of these are known uh to help reduce inflammation so if you want to go to rogueshop.com you see their uh logo up in the corner rogueshop.com use promo code bwi and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Tell them T. Frank sent you. Char, she's the lady that runs the chat. So you know that little chat bubble that pops up at the bottom and normally it's a robot? No, it's actually Char. She spends a lot of her time talking to people because if you're, if you're like me and you're new, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what any of these products do. Not anything that's ever been a part of your existence. So check them out. Use the promo code BWI, get 10% off, and help yourself feel better. Get through cold and flu season with less inflammation and less gunk in your glands. Uh, BWI live Monday recap show. If you want to donate to the channel, by the way, speaking of NIL, if you want to give a uh, something in the tip jar, always appreciated. But we're talking to you tonight about what's going on with Penn State football. Let's get to the chat and see what somebody else has to know. Uh, wants to know about this game. Penn State and Alabama in a bowl game. <laughs> That'd be fun, right? You know, maybe if you get, maybe then you get to see Drew Aller versus Bryce Young. That'd be fun. Um, I did see something the other day, whether this was the internet trolling or not, I don't know. But there was an Alabama fan that went viral for for calling for Nick Saban to to lose his job, to be fired. Nick Saban. Nick, somebody wanted to fire Nick Saban. An Alabama fan wanted to fire Nick Saban. You can find one of those in every fan base. So I just wanted everyone to know that uh, we we see you. You know, the, the, you guys are everywhere. Um, <laughs> Dell Izzard comes and says, boy, 9-9 nine, nine is a problem. Because uh, Izzard got his, I believe, his first sack of the season. Uh, Dell, good to see you. Uh, he was good. That was a, a big part of the game plan on Saturday was we're just going to beat the Indiana offensive line. It's just like it doesn't matter what they do, what scheme they run. doesn't matter if they try and throw the ball or not. The Penn State defensive line is going to be on the other side of the offensive line the entire game. And and they they came out with that mentality there were like no linebackers in the box to start the game. Uh, Indiana went five wide and Penn state had linebackers vaguely in the area of the box and sure. Like they went in motion and Curtis Jacobs came back in the box. But when you see no linebackers over the center, it means you do not respect the other team's running game or offensive line. And they, that that was the game plan, and that's what they did. Two safeties deep, a lot of the game to take away the deep passing attack and, uh, you know, kind of flood the zones to the outside and let everyone else go to work. And 
that's what I was talking about to start the show. Kaziah Izzard, uh, PJ Mustafer, Devon Ellis, Chop Robinson had a great game. Denied in a sudden great in run defense. Uh, Disa Isaac was excellent in run defense on Saturday. They were able to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Um, this is an interesting thing that I saw and kind of mulled over. One of the other things that I, I learned from this game, I always like to learn something about football from watching a football game, even in a blowout. And sometimes these are easier to see in these extreme circumstances. Um, if you have an advantage in a game uh, and it is so complete that it takes away all of one or two options, that's how you get that blowout. So Penn State and what I just described there, their defensive line being so much better than the Indiana offensive line allowed Penn State to do whatever they wanted. You can't play two safeties deep and not have a quarterback spy if you don't believe that your defensive line is going to control everything at the line of scrimmage. And for the most part, out of the quarterback, outside of the quarterback runs, they were able to do that. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting is the idea of tempo. So tempo was something that we talked a lot coming in the game. There was uh, somebody in chat that talked about it at the beginning of the show um, about how the tempo was a thing in this game. And Penn State used tempo effectively as well. But Indiana's defense offense is built on it, right? Going fast, going fast, going fast. And I talked to James Franklin about what tempo does outside of just getting guys tired and preventing you from changing personnel. And he said, what it does is you're hoping that it simplifies the call. You get something vanilla that you can predict and attack. And that's great. That's a great idea. Here's the problem. Indiana, going back to uh, what somebody said earlier, Jimmy's in the Joes. And this is where this is where this is absolutely correct. If the defense is running something simple because you're going fast, guess who's also probably running something simple? The offense. You can't get a crazy call in either. You can't dial up your best play if you're running a play every 18 seconds. You've got to have your it's like uh it's like a, a diner where everything's on one menu, right? It's you got seven things. That's what we prepare. You're not getting any alterations. We're not taking the mayo off your sandwich. We're running this, and that's it. And that's kind of it's kind of a paint by the numbers offense. So Penn State does very well especially the front seven when they can play fast and loose and free and get downhill. And when you're running inside zone, outside zone, and every once in a while you throw in a counter to be crazy, it doesn't challenge them. So they can, they can attack gaps with confidence and reliability and be right. So the linebackers play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Kobe King had a great game because he could see it coming. He hit it and he tackled uh, kind of the same thing with Ohio state. This was the question I had coming into the game is, are they going to run the same stuff? And if they do, I think Penn State matches up well. And we saw that happen for most of the game against Ohio State. The This game was was that on steroids, where it was, it was I, I hate to say easy, because I don't believe football is ever easy, because you've got to, even if you think it's going to be an easy game, you got to still play with that edge like it's not. And that's how Saturday happens. And, and they did that. They completely dominated the, the offensive line of scrimmage and made it impossible for Indiana to do just about anything. Get to some of the other things in the game that I thought was interesting in a second, but I want to get to Steven. He says, I knew I forgot something. JJ McCarthy is not some kind of QB wonder. We need to win that game next year. I agree. 
That game at home is going to be different. The home field advantage at Beaver Stadium is going to change some things for that offense. Um, it's definitely going to make the offense a little slower at the snap. That's a huge thing. And that's one of the reasons why these teams have been so consistently competitive home and away is because home field advantage is a big difference between the two. Now, for some reason, Penn State just can't play well in Ann Arbor. And they, they get blown up there more than anywhere else. I don't know what it is. It's, if it's in the water, I've made the flight to the Detroit airport. I, it's fine from state college. Like it's not, I don't know what's going on there, but they can't play in our Ann Arbor, but they can consistently play with and beat that team at home. And the home field advantage is a huge part of that. Uh, Steven also says, also, this is not meant to be snark. What the hell's going on with Buffalo football is a crazy game. Yes. I'm a bills fan for anyone here. New Josh Allen is trying too hard to throw the football down the field. I was looking this up today and I know that you were, I know that you don't really, you just want to talk about football and like, but I have the answer, unfortunately, because I couldn't let it go. He's throwing the ball down the field at double the rate he was before trying to hit big plays. He's being too aggressive. He's trying too hard to win the game on every throw, which is something he had gotten better at and has taken a step back. Now, apparently his elbow's injured and I'm terrified. So. <laughs> that's going to suck. Um, does Olu change O-line recruiting? This is a great question. This is something I talked with uh, Sean Fitz about post-game. Obviously, Olu Fashanu wasn't there, so that was, uh, that was an issue. Uh, I believe maybe we talked about this last Thursday on our live show on Thursday. I think it does. I think it should you know, very much should change Penn State recruiting because if there's one thing that the Nittany Lions have struggled to get recently, it's a it's an offensive tackle. It's that guy that is 6'6", 35-inch arms, quick feet, the guy that is a true blue tackle that is that, that really good prospect. Fashanu came in as a guy that had the tools but needed work. And you see under Phil Troutwine what that looks like. Drew Shelton was a guy that had a lot of tools that came in and needed some work and the returns on Saturday in his first start were pretty good considering he was a true freshman. That's part of the, the, my prepared statements was talking about all the freshmen getting to that today. Um, it was not the game I thought it was post, you know, on the post game show and, and, and Fitz said it perfectly. He, we didn't notice him and that's really good for a tackle but we're going to definitely poke holes in it over the next couple of days and going back and watching the film and watching him on every play and seeing how he performed. There were some mental mistakes in the run game, some mental mistakes in the passing game that made it not a standout breakout superstar. He should have been playing all season performance. He was light years better than the last time I saw him play football, especially in pass protection. I thought that was the better of his two facets of his game. And that alone is super impressive. Um, but there were still some mental mistakes there. Gave up some pressures. Really in one-on-one, -on -one, he only got beat once, but he did, again, twists and stunts. The offensive line as a group did not handle them well. He was one of those in the group that didn't handle them very well. But the feet were there. The athleticism were there. So it's not just Ola Fashanu. It's every player that comes in with a good rating seems to be getting better. Um, and that actually kind of changes my opinion about some of the guys in this class coming up. I have been a little bit farther behind everybody 
with Anthony Donko. Just because I I see the talent, I see the physical tools, but I don't see a lot of football instincts. I see huge gaps in what he needs to know from an athletic, like an intrinsic athletic perspective and from a technical perspective, all of those things. And he's gotten to work with Phil Troutwine at camps over the summer. That I thought was, was pretty big. Um, that helped him this year. But going forward, I have a better feeling and I, I am more optimistic about him turning into a better football player now that I've seen other guys who had similar rawness do it. And if you're an offensive lineman, that should make you want to go play for Phil Troutwine. Like uh, these transformations are happening and they're not out of nowhere. We're seeing more consistency. Another guy that I thought was fantastic that was as good on first blush was JB Nelson, a little bit older. He's bigger and stronger, you know, just because of that year in Juco and, and being in the weight room this winter with Penn State football, as opposed to Shelton who got here in the summer, he was legitimately moving players at the line of scrimmage. You know, some of the things I talked about with changing the blocks up front with the fullbacks that allowed him to really lay into some of those double teams at the line of scrimmage and climb to the second level. And he did it with athleticism. He did it with great technique. It was one of those things. If you're, if you're an offensive line fan, you, I got fired up watching that. Like, man, that's how it's supposed to look. You know, you know, the feet were right. The hands were right. He was aggressive, but not overly. So he didn't lunge. All those things like that was not in his profile at Lackawanna. He was a top heavy dude that was strong and was quick for his size, but he was leaning and lunging at everybody. And now he comes out balanced, mobile and physical. So I do think that th this offensive line and the the progression that they've made is real and should absolutely help in recruiting. The problem is I don't know. I don't know that it's going to happen this year. That's that's the bummer is like we're very late in this class. I'd like to see Penn State put together a really good offensive line class because I like seeing stuff that's new, right? I, I like seeing stuff that we haven't seen before. And we haven't seen them in a long time with a really good offensive line and this offensive line coach. Um, so I, I'm, I'm optimistic for Penn State fans and for the Penn State future that this offensive line is going to continue and eventually they're going to land one of these tackles. Sean Crowley says, got my magazine today. Good article by Nate. Uh, lots of good articles by Nate, by the way. Uh, so if you want to check out the magazine, you can sign up. I believe it's bluewhiteonline.com and you can sign up for the magazine. We're not just a website or a YouTube show. We have, we are a, a an empire of Penn State football coverage. There's the magazine. There's us here on the YouTube show. This has turned into a podcast. We have the website, the forum, all that stuff. Literally any way that you can consume media, we've got you covered, including... I, I we had a TikTok for a while. I don't know. I don't know what's happened to that since. So Ken asks, so like Drew Allen, is there hope? Give me hope. There is not any hope for Drew Allen. And Ken, I'm just I'm just messing with you. I know that uh <laughs> I know that typos happen. There is hope for Drew Aller. So another guy, again, that on second watching. Drew Aller was as good as he seemed on Saturday. Now, this is the conversation we need to have before we talk about Drew Aller. And that is the discovery phase of the game where I told you the game plan from Indiana, right? Sean Clifford had to find all that information out during the game. 
by the time Drew Aller comes in, that's all Mike Yersich has adjusted. The offense knows what to expect. And those bullets are spent. So they're not going to be going to the well there anymore, knowing that the game is over and they're going to kind of pull their horns in and they're going to play some more base coverages, some more base things, you know, some more of their just stock plays on defense. So it's not the same fundamentally. And also the game pressure is obviously different, but once we've laid that, they're still trying to hit him really hard and they're still trying to take the ball away from him. So it's still a hard game. Football is still a hard game. And he did a very good job. Um, you know, I, th- I thought Dan or- Orlovsky did a good job of uh, chronicling the things that he did well. If you watch the TV copy, uh, a couple of the things that I really liked. It's always hard, even with Sean Clifford, to say like, ah, he changed the play with all the check with me at the sideline, right? So there's a lot of things, a lot of information coming in from the sideline that's coming from the coaches. So Drew Aller wasn't changing the play himself independently, but he did change a protection and then at least a formation to throw the ball to uh, Liam Clifford for a first down. So he did all of that, operated all very well, communicated effectively and got them in the right spot and then threw a frozen rope between two defenders for a first down, you know, into zone coverage, throwing with anticipation. These are all great signs. My favorite throw was that touchdown to uh, Harrison Wallace in the back of the end zone, because that was his third progression. First two on the play action, trying to get it to the tight end in the flat. And then there was another guy in the back of the end zone. I don't know. I don't remember the receiver at this point, but then you got Harrison Wallace coming on a drag route at the back of the end zone as the third option. Aller reads it. It's all covered and he doesn't panic. He sees the window. And again, the arm strength matters at that point. It doesn't matter if he throws it really hard to the back of the end zone and it's intercepted by Devon uh, Matthews. It matters that he beats him with a throw to the back shoulder because Harrison Wallace is streaking across the back of the end zone and he's got to fit into a tight window. That's when arm strength absolutely matters. And that's the great thing about Aller is that he's generally very accurate when he's confident, especially he's very accurate. Some of the things we've seen is I think when his confidence wavers, his feet waver, and he gets into some bad tendencies from some of his old throwing motion. But the longer he plays football, the less that's going to happen. And, you know, throwing on the run. We've talked a lot about Drew Aller and and the not being very mobile, 247 pounds or whatever it is. He's going to be plenty mobile. You know, he is a true freshman He's still working. This is a thing we chronicled in the offseason about he really never had a whole lot of weightlifting in his in his high school career as far as professional stuff. Some of the guys that came in, you know, Singleton and Catron Allen, that's one of the things we talked about with those freshmen is they came in physically different. Um, and, and same with Bo Prabula, a little bit more physically prepared, had lifted weights a little bit more and a little more seriously, especially the junior to senior season really, I think, changed his body type. Aller still has to go through that. He still is going through that process. So he's going to refine all of those things. And maybe he's not going to be, you know, the complete quarterback. He's not going to be the, you know, go back to Josh Allen, that comparison. I don't think he's going to be that guy. Fundamentally, there's a lot of differences between the two. But he's going to, he is a good guy to move and throw on the run. All those things are absolutely a part of what he does. Um, 
And Ken says, even his quick scamper out of the pocket where there was no options downfield, had great speed and picked up the yards. That was amazing. Yeah, decisive. Decisive as a runner. And that was, um, that was I think, a, a really good run by him because he he can make a cut. Um, Kerry says, Dan O'Fairley says Clifford and the potential of Aller. I think so, too. <laughs> uh, he looked more complete than Clifford. So let's talk about Sean Clifford for a second. He was fine. You know, he was fine. And I, I understand I I'm bringing this up on my own because we've talked a lot about Sean Clifford being the guy that can get you through the game. That's that's the part where we still don't know. And I think fans are saying, yeah, let's find out. And James Franklin says, well, I want to win the football game. And Penn State put up 31 points with Sean Clifford in the game. So he was not actively hindering the offense. And some of his best throws would have generated another touchdown before the half, but they were dropped. So um, he wasn't terrible. But once again, Tom Allen had a good defensive game plan that frustrated and and really I think the receivers frustrated them as well. They were not exceptionally open and they I don't think they did a great job on the whole of presenting a good target for Clifford. But he never helps himself. He always makes it so hard. He makes this conversation so hard. After playing reasonably well for three games, and I go back to the Michigan game of he did not have the ball a whole lot, but when he did, he threw some good passes all the way to this game where then they get a blowout and I go, eh, he wasn't that great. Like he wasn't good. He was much better against Ohio state in a loss from a throwing perspective. And I understand that the, the turnovers are a whole nother thing that we're, let's just not do that tonight. But from a throwing perspective of throwing the ball accurately to football players running down the field, he was good at that against Ohio state. He was not good at that against Indiana. And he had another predetermined, throw that resulted in an interception, which is, is very frustrating. And again, Dan Orlovsky, he pointed out perfectly of showing you where the ball should have gone. And that doesn't take any sort of foresight because Indiana did something unexpected there. You know, whatever the play call was, you don't expect the middle linebacker in that situation to run deep. You, that That is not the regular game plan. And Tom Allen always has something to surprise you. So Sean Clifford, a smart guy with a lot of whiteboard experience drawing up plays and knowing where the ball should go, pre-snap, didn't read. He decided where the ball was going to go, and then he threw it there. And I don't see a lot of that from Drew Aller. Only once did I see that happen, and that was actually, he came off his primary read and then locked onto a secondary read, and it was a crossing route. It was kind of a garbled mess to begin with, but he could have read it a little bit better. But that was just one play. We have years and years and years and years and years and years of Sean Clifford. And Steven's like, don't do it, T. Frank. Don't do it. Don't talk about Sean Clifford. But I, we need to have that conversation here with the hundreds of people that are watching right now. I need to tell you this right now that I don't think Sean Clifford played well in a 45 to 14 win because it's not about the end result. It's about the journey to get there. And Sean Clifford was not good during this particular journey so that we are fair and that we assess things as they happen. So that's that's very much what I want to do here with this, is, is just be like, okay, the next time somebody comes onto the Blue White Illustrated message board or here on the show and they want to say that we're defending Clifford and there's all kinds of reasons why people have said that, 
it's just that the coaching staff believes that they can get through these next four games with Sean Clifford and win all of them. And it is a better bet than with Drew Aller. But every single time I see Drew Aller play, it's feeling more like 52-48. Or maybe even not even that. Maybe not even that. Maybe it is 60-40. And not 85-20 or whatever, you know. Uh, 85-15 or... or I, I, I have a hard time... I have a hard time giving a good reason why you shouldn't see Drew Aller anymore. This is something we said after the game. Meh Clifford showed up. I think that's a good one. We don't really have meh Clifford. We either have good Sean Clifford, which isn't great ever, or it's, uh, you know, bad Sean Clifford. Um, There's something. Oh, Tom says Tom Allen, if he gets canned, would be a nice analyst to have or defensive coordinator if uh, Diaz left for head coaching gig. I agree. I love watching Tom Allen's defense, and it is in a similar aggressive vein as Manny Diaz. So I think that's that, you know, I don't know that would ever happen. I think Tom Allen is too good of a coach that if he got fired from Indiana, I think he would find another job somewhere else. And and somebody somebody should if that were to happen. Uh, let's see what we got here. I want to talk about the Indiana run game. Because this is an, a large part of what we talked about earlier with the Penn State defense. This is, we'll, we'll go here in a little bit, but this is another one of those things that you learn. If this offense stays in place with Walt Bell at Indiana and Penn State's going to have to see them in the future, this is something that we should all be prepared for. A lot of that offense on Saturday, Jack Tuttle got the start for whatever reason it was, but part of it, I believe, was he's a little more mobile and he can run a little better. Because there was just a, it was like watching a puzzle be put together and you're missing the corner piece. And the quarterback run game is a big part of that, where there are plays that if he keeps the ball and runs, Penn State is over, they've over pursued. They're out of gap for the actual run because they're not expecting him to run because quarterbacks don't keep the ball much anymore. Like it's not just Sean Clifford, lots of quarterbacks don't keep the ball anymore. So, uh, Dexter Williams not starting surprised me, you know, from what I saw and then from seeing him move around later, he also didn't keep the ball a whole lot. I, I, I just, if you are outmanned and outgunned, especially at the defensive line and the, the defense is giving it to you, they're saying, go ahead. I dare you. And you don't do it. Why did you change the quarterback? Now, if Basilic was hurt or something that we don't know about, then I get it, right? So you didn't really want to change anything, but if you chose to change quarterbacks, Tuttle wasn't making great decisions. So he's got a lot of decisions to make pre-snap in that offense. Do I throw the bubble? Do I run the RPO? Uh, do I hand the ball? You know, a lot of what Sean Clipper was doing last year in a similar situation. The offensive line isn't working, so we've got to chef salad it, right? We've got to put the croutons on top. we got to get all the dressings and toppings to make this look like a meal. Um, that's what they had to do, and, and that's a lot of decisions to make, and a lot of them can be snap decisions where suddenly Jonathan Sutherland isn't in the flat. He's in the box, and you have made the wrong decision. Good quarterbacks uh, anticipate these things, but they also are good snap decision makers. Um, and, and Tuttle wasn't that got a couple, uh, these come through Kent genuine curiosity. What happens if our coaching staff loses pieces of this off season, you, your moves on. Do we run into another multi OC system? Like Clifford had messed up Drew's development 
like Sean? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think just off the top of my head, the guys that are on the coaching staff that would be offensive play caller material. And I don't really have a guy coming to mind. So I, first off, I don't know that your would move on. I don't, I, I wouldn't say that this year has been lights out, right? I don't think that he's done such a stupendous job that think tanks and things like that are going to come calling. They might next year. If everyone's hopes and dreams come true. Uh, with the defensive side of the ball, I think is a little bit more clear. There's a couple more guys, uh, you know, Terry Smith. I don't know if he's interested in that, but he's he's been around a long time, seen a lot of these defenses. Um, and then, you know, I'm very impressed with Anthony Poindexter. I think he could be that guy. Um, I think he almost was that guy a couple of times. And that to me, that would be a, a logical step for him. Um, but on the offensive side of the ball, I think they'd have to go find somebody else. Now. Not to always point back to, you know, we, we, everybody does this. I do this. You do this. Everyone always goes, yeah, but Alabama, Alabama's run through a lot of coordinators and they have very good football players and those football players adapt and those coaches put them in good schemes to, uh, win. Now the attrition can only happen for so long before a problem arises and you get, you know, I don't know, two losses and then they're slumming it down in the two loss teams like Penn state. And Utah, and I keep bringing up Utah, by the way, because my wife is an alum. Um, so I don't know. I, I do think they'd have to go outside, and it would not be ideal, and it might be a step back. So that would be a problem. But luckily, I don't think that'll happen. Uh, Steven says, I guess Chris Ball is not super Manny in Miami after uh, after all. Yeah, it's been bad there, um, and and there's no way around that. That it, I, I'm I'm sure they thought... Mario Cristobal is going to come in and be like, you know, all of this stuff, but better. And, uh, and I think it's going to take some time there. If they get there, the recruiting class is ridiculous. So far, they have, uh, some amazing offensive linemen. And then, uh, Samson Okunlola, I believe is in the conversation there to go to, uh, Miami as well. So it's all going to, it's going to be all about the future, but the current, the present, like, I don't think they're coaching that team up very well. Um, last thing is I wanted to get into, yes, in the two lost slums down here with all the plebs, all the commoners, all the poor people, all of the lower class in the two lost town has a, you know, I, <laughs> has a feel to be down here. Welcome. It's good. Good bed company. Every once in a while to realize that it's not all perfect. Right. Um, so let's talk about Maryland. Because I saw a little bit of this team on film today, very briefly. So do not take this as, you know, a game prediction or anything. But here's the light scouting report of what I've seen of them so far this season. And then what I watched this afternoon, um, kind of prepping for the week. Talia Tungavaloa does not look great right now. He's kind of all over the place. In the game, I watched the game against Wisconsin. The decision making was bad. And it was pretty helter-skelter. Some of the things that he does really well, extending the play, throwing on the run, he's throwing the ball to the other team, and he's making bad decisions and pressing in this situation. Um, I don't know if the knee is fine or good or whatever. He seems to move well, but I do believe something is affecting his mental processing. Part of it was the center and that situation. If the center that played on uh, last Saturday against Wisconsin, if that guy plays against Penn State, 
I don't think Penn State has a problem in this game. Uh, the offensive line is good pass blocking unit. They're running the ball much more because their runners are pretty good. Maryland has speed. Surprise, surprise. Maryland's got some athletes. That's not, that's always been a thing. Um, but they're trying to run the ball more. And I'm going to dig into why, what's going on there. And I'm going to dig into some of that stuff to, to find out from this hyperactive passing attack, taking a little bit off of Tunga Valoa's shoulders. And then the other thing I noticed, and, and again, this might've been the issue at center and some of the issues with the uh, running backs pass blocking. Didn't see the same confidence in him throwing the ball down the field. One of the most dangerous things about him is that he will throw the ball into he's he is boomer bust. He'll give the ball to the other team, but he will cut your heart out every once in a while. And, you know, it's it's kind of evened out over over time, but he makes some very good throws and you have to defend the whole field. But whatever was going on in the past in, in this last game, he didn't have that secret sauce. So if that team comes in to Penn State, I I understand why it is almost a two touchdown game. But this is a game to me that you're going to see Maryland pull out some new stuff. I I kind of think that's how Maryland views this game, you know how Penn State uh, views Michigan and Ohio State and how those two teams view each other and to the same degree somewhat Penn State, you know. Michigan completely flipping the run game and attacking Penn State that way, pulling that thing out of the rabbit, that rabbit out of the hat against Penn State means that they they want to win that game. And they want the advantage of doing something unexpected. Maryland might do that in this game. And I think they kind of need to because their passing attack did not look as dangerous and they were running a lot into not great looks against Wisconsin. So. Uh, that's so far what I've seen, and I don't think it bodes well for Maryland. But again, pretty good tackles, good quarterback, some good receivers. I'm trying to get somebody on the show this week uh, to talk about Maryland football. Got some people we've discussed the the Terps with on the show before, reaching out to those people to get us some of that information to fill in the gaps of what's going on there. Uh, That's coming up this week on the BWI Daily Edition. Tomorrow, just so you know, is TBD. I will be off. I've got some things I have to take care of. I'll be back on Wednesday. And then the show tomorrow, uh, the recruiting show, I, I'm not sure what uh, what's going to happen just yet. So stay tuned. We'll have programming updates throughout the day tomorrow to let you know what's going on. That'll do today for the BWI Daily Edition. Thanks. You guys made this fun. You guys, you guys helped out a lot. Appreciate that. Always appreciate our regulars. Appreciate everybody new that came into the show. Um, we'll be doing this throughout the rest of the season. So don't go anywhere live post game show. I believe Tom Hannafin will be back. So I will, uh, you won't have to hear me speak for 58 minutes of uninterrupted noise. You guys are brave getting through that. I appreciate you helping me out with it. We'll be back on the BWI daily edition. Talk to you later.